Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue through our, our Bible teaching, and tonight's book is on the book of Zechariah. You know, this book is set, you know, after the return of the exiles from Babylon into Jerusalem, you know, that we were told about this in the book of Ezra. You know, both Zechariah and Haggai were prophets of that day, you know, and they were challenging and motivating the people to rebuild the temple. You know, a long time, you know, before this had happened, Jeremiah had prophesied of what was going to take place, you know, so, you know, these things are all, you know, coming to an end. We're here we are at the end of the Old Testament, even though we're discussing topics that we were discussing months ago as we went through the book of Jeremiah and the book of Nehemiah, you know, and the book of Ezra, you know, and here we are, you know, last week we are you know, discussing the book of Haggai, you know, he's being mentioned again, and Zechariah is, you know, <clears throat> bringing up, you know, that God's people are to be faithful to God. You know, that right about now is when that 70 years, you know, that, that Jeremiah had prophesied that the people were going to be returned back into Jerusalem, you know, and he... God was going to restore his presence and put it in the new temple and bring forth his kingdom. And this, the rule of the messianic, you know, king was going to rule over all nations, you know. So here we again, you know, we're hearing that some of the similar prophesi- you know, prophecies from many different prophets, you know, and sometimes we're like, well, yeah, you know, these guys hung out together. No, they really didn't. You know, sometimes they, they were hundreds of miles apart. They didn't even know the other person existed. You know, and they're, you know, literally writing down the same words. You know, they're in different times. They're in different, you know, towns. You know, some of these prophets didn't even know the other prophets existed, although it's the same exact message over and over and over again. You know, God was relaying to his, you know, his men and women of God that that they were to, to, to turn from their sins and back to him. You know, you know, and, you know, sometimes life is hard, right? You know, it, it's not easy, you know, and I can't imagine what they were going through, you know, that they were living in a city, you know, thousands of years ago, and all of a sudden there's an army at your door that says, you know, we're taking over, you know, and they literally would, you know, they would, you know, rape and pillage, they would destroy everything, they would steal all the gold, they would, you know, kill the kings. You know, and anybody that was any of a value, they would keep them, and they would, you know, use bring all the women and, and small children into slavery, and they would kill all the men. You know, and you know here, you know that after seventy years, you know they're heading back into town, you know, to try to rebuild their lives again. You know, many of us are in situations where we're trying to rebuild our lives. You know, and we're trying to break the, the generational dysfunction that's been on some of our lives, you know, long before our parents, even our grandparents, and even so on and so forth. You know, that there's been all this chaos in our family line for many, many years. You know, some of us are the first ones to get saved in our family. Some of us are the first ones to really attempt to get sober in our families. You know, and we're breaking free from, you know, being exiled, in a sense, in sin, you know, and, you know, we're in this crazy land called America and, and, you know, sin is, 
is all around us. It abounds. You know, it, there's nowhere to turn that there's not sin lurking in every corner. You know, and, you know, it's not easy to to push through and, and to to make a life. You know, especially when many of us have learned how to live a certain way for such amount of time, and now here we are learning whole new things. You know, let alone being sober, like following Jesus is this whole different way to live. It's like, you know, sometimes it's re- extremely challenging, and, it, you know, there's all this fear that tries to grip us because, you know, we don't know how to trust God. You know, and here they are in this land. They're going back into Jerusalem, and they're trying to figure this out. And for centuries, you know, their their ancestors have, you know, said that they believe in Yahweh, but yet worshipped idols. You know, and, you know, life's trying to get back, you know, they're trying to get back into the land and, and it, you know, and it's like, where's God's promises? You know, this is really hard. You know, anybody said that this is really hard lately? <laughs> I hate this. I don't like doing this. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, why couldn't Jesus just leave me alone? You know, like, I was much happier before I realized that, you know, he was cool and he wanted me to do stuff and I, I don't know how to do any of this stuff and it makes me really freak out a lot because, you know, I have to trust him and I don't like trusting anybody but myself, but yet I'm the worst person that I've ever met. You know, you know, there's been nobody in my life that's hurt me more than me. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, typically we're the best ones at destroying ourselves. You know, and Jesus tries to come in and mess that all up. How dare he? You know, and, you know, Zechariah and many of the other prophets are trying to speak to the people and saying, stop. Stop doing what you've been doing. It's not been working, has it? You know, it's literally destroyed our lives over and over and over again. And then it's a written history that they literally can look throughout, you know, Old Testament scriptures of how they have, you know, continue to, to say they want God, but yet go back to idols. You know, and here they are again. What's the point? You know, is this all going to work out? You know, and, you know, Zechariah is challenging them. You know, and you can hear the tone. Like, I hear the tone in me sometimes. I've heard the tone in us. Sometimes, like, is this really worth it? Like, this seems like it's so much harder than it would be if we just did whatever we wanted to do. But yet, the last time I remember doing whatever I wanted to do, it was extremely painful. So even though following Jesus is scary, and sometimes it feels like he's, like, literally trying to kill us, but he's just trying to break off sin patterns that really hurt us and hurt everyone around us and have been present since we were little and they were probably passed on from our parents and they got them from their parents and so on and so forth. You know, and we, you know, we hear it in the scripture. You know, we love throwing around Jeremiah 29, 11. God has a purpose and a plan for your life that you're going to prosper. I don't even think that's the greatest promise that's in that that passage. You know, 29.13 says he's going to hear you. Like, that's way cooler than he's got a plan. Like, God's listening to me and he's going to, you know, hang out with me. I will take that over a plan any day of the week. That's just me. 
If I know the God of the universe is listening to little old me, I will take that over somebody telling me, I, you know, he's got a plan for you. Like, no, God's actually paying attention and talking to me, and I can get to talk to him. Why that's not on a bumper sticker is beyond me. <clears throat> Maybe we should create some. Like, we'll just cross out Jeremiah 29.11 and then put the, the next couple of verses, like 13 through 15, because that, to me, is way better of a promise then he's got a plan, because sometimes his plan scares us, and we don't always agree with it. Can I get an amen on that one? So sometimes God's plan, we think that he's, you know, Jesus, take the wheel, like somebody blindfolded him or something. I don't know. Like he's crashing into stuff. <clears throat> but, you know, is this worth it? Is Jesus worth it? You know, yeah, we get to go to heaven, and that's cool. But like, do we really believe that his word is for us for today, for now, that his promises are real and true and amen? You know, we have all our little Christian sayings that we can throw out. Hallelujah, brother. You know, but do we really realize that he wants to pour out his inheritance on us now? Not just when we get to go on to heaven. Like, yeah, heaven's cool. But he wants us to live away today that's not the way we used to live, that's not turning to the idols that we used to turn to, that's turning to Him, only Him, following Jesus, only Jesus, trying to listen to Him, follow His directions, getting into Scripture, and that He wants to take us to places in this land and rebuild our temples, rebuild our cities. Now, this isn't just prosperous, like, we may never be prosperous. But I will tell you what, the mental health that I have today compared to the person that I once was and the craziness that went through my ears, I will take that over money any day of the week. The peace that I have between my ears today, since I've been following Jesus, you could not pay for. And we watch lots of rich and famous people that have all the things that we think we would ever want and all the money that you could possibly spend, and they're absolutely miserable and their lives are out of control, and we watch them commit suicide, we watch them OD with drugs. So the things that this world tells us are what we really want still doesn't bring that satisfaction on the inside. But what we really desire is Jesus. You know, I was driving around today, and there's just so much darkness. There's so much pain on our streets. I mean, I was just going right over here, Oneida, you know, tile, or Oneida floor, and I'm just driving down the street, and like everyone is just miserable. You know, there's, you can see the people that have been out all night. You can see the people that are just struggling. They're, they're trying to do it. They're trying to live life. And life just hurts. You know what? And it just shows me that I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That our crazy past, my crazy past, has a purpose. And that we are to be lights in other people's darknesses. Now, it might be the light in our family. We might be the only light in that family. We might be the only light in our workplace. We might be the only light in, in the people that we know. 
you know, and it's important for us to press into Jesus and let him take us his direction and stop fighting him. You know, and this is what Zechariah is challenging them. You know, he's challenging these people that he's this person in their generation. But we need to turn back to God and that we need to not be like our ancestors who rebelled against and refused to listen. And that they listened to the earlier prophets, but they did whatever they wanted to anyway, and they ended up you know, being sent into exile. But now, now is this time that we are being returned from exile and that we need to respond to him appropriately. So he's calling them to repent and to humble themselves before God. You know, and... I personally think that it's important that we we have a, a spirituality check every now and again, you know, and that we realize that I am still a sinner. I might got some Jesus, and I am way different than I used to be, but I can do some stuff, I can think some stuff, I can say some stuff that sends me off in the wrong direction real fast. And if I don't catch it as fast as possible, I find myself staying in that 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 mindset of miserable, depressing, angry, bitter, murmur, 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 complaining, complaining, complaining. And then it's like, no matter what's going on in my day, everything's miserable. Everyone else is miserable, you know, and it's just like, ugh, you know. And I think that it's important for us to, to catch ourselves as fast as possible and say, you know what, Jesus? <laughs> Me and you need to hang out a little bit more. I've been wandering. You know, and we humble ourselves before Him and say, "Lord, I, I need You." You know, I've been I've been wandering away. I've been looking at things. I've been doing things. I just haven't had time for You. I haven't prayed. I haven't been in My Word. I haven't whatever it is. You know, and, that, and you know, there's lots of times the enemy tries to get in there and say, "Well, you're not saved. Look at you. You're not." You know, because we have this idea of this religious perfect Christian that never struggles. Let me just be clear, we're going to struggle. It's okay if you don't read your Bible all day, every day, maybe this week. Guess what? Jesus still loves you. However, it's important that you get back in there. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to make excuses, but we're never going to toe the line. You know, we're never going to, you know, be completely perfect. You know, and I think that it's important that we we repent and we humble ourselves often and say, you know what? Me and Jesus were doing a little bit better a little while ago and I was doing X, Y, Z. You know, I need to get back to X, Y, Z and, you know, and spend a little bit more time, you know, Bible and chilling rather than Netflix and, you know, Hulu in it and chilling. But, you know, this world has so many different distractions it wants to give us, you know, and it's so important that we're we're paying attention that Jesus is the only one that satisfies us. And every one of us has had that moment where we're like, oh, Jesus. And we've been overwhelmed, overwhelmed by what he's doing. You know, he, we felt his presence in a prayer meeting or worshiping or we've been in church and we've heard a word. And we, we know that specifically for us. Like, how did he know? He's reading my mail. Like, whatever, you know. And we just know that God's paying attention to little old us in this crazy little world of ours. And we're like, 
I know God's speaking to me. That's really, really cool stuff. And that's what encourages us to keep pressing on and say, you know what, I need more Jesus and not things that this world tells me that I should be grabbing a hold of. You know, and Zechariah is one of these prophetic dreams books. He has a lot of visions, you know, and some of these things are a little crazy. But, you know, we, we see the four horsemen of the apocalypse prophesied, you know, in this book. You know, he talks about the horsemen coming and bringing judgment and bringing, you know, and bringing correction into this world. You know, he talks about Persia coming. You know, and Persia really hadn't been on the map yet. You know, it was the Assyrians and it was the Babylonians. And now, you know, he's prophesying another kingdom who's going to come and destroy everything. He's prophesying the rebuilding of the city, the rebuilding of the temple. You know, you know, and that this temple, this new temple, this new Jerusalem is going to be a beacon, a lighthouse to the nation. You know, and here they are, they're, you know, their, te- their city is completely destroyed, their temple is completely in shambles, and, and he's prophesying, like, we're going to change the world. You know that we have the ability to change the world? You know, I never would have imagined that I would have went to other nations before I got saved. And, like, God keeps sending me places. You know, I remember very clearly... You know, I had less than a year sober, and I was going on my first missions trip. And for whatever reason, I was going to one of the drugstores, and I ran into a girl that I remember, you know, that we were friends, and we went to meetings together. And she was telling me, you know, I'm going back to rehab. You know, i got to get this right. And I'm just, like, blown away how far Jesus has brought me in just a short amount of time. You know, and we've had... Jesus really move in our lives, how fast things move. I mean, where were you six months ago? Where were you a year ago? Where were you just a couple of years ago? Where was your mindset? Where was your heart? And look at what he's done. I mean, literally look back to pre-Jesus and then think about how far you've come. Has it been easy? No. But yet he's done miracles in our lives. Each one of us is a miracle that we're even sitting here and not dead. I know that I should be dead, and I know some of your stories, and you should be dead too. And yet God reached into the darkest of places in our lives and pulled us out and said, I love you, and started healing us and breaking off the junk. You know, But he's prophesying this new Jerusalem that it will purify the men and the women of sin because of Scripture. You know, I really, you know, I I really believe that it's so important that we get into our words. That we spend time listening to it, reading it, whatever you got to do, get it in you. I do not like to read. I know some of you do not like to read. You know, I did not read in high school. Like, I, you know, I was a reader, but I did not read. Like, here's a book in English class. Yep, I'm going to sit next to the smart kid and cheat. You know, like, do a book report. Yeah, not doing that. You know, you should read this textbook. Yeah, that's not happening. You know, and because that we're pretty smart people, we got through life, school, with putting very minimal effort forward. And the fact that, you know, I honestly, 
I've passed high school and I have an associate degree in college and I didn't read anything. I'm not even kidding. And it's like Jesus like comes along and says, here, read this. And I'm like, ah, they got a movie to that thing? Uh, I'm not really like a reader. I don't like do that. I ain't got time for that. But all of a sudden, you know, I was challenged to read a page a day. And all of a sudden, I was reading a page a day, and I'm like, nothing's happening. You know, what's the big deal about this book? But all of a sudden, I started realizing that what I thought was in there wasn't in there. I thought it was like a like hundred million rules that I was supposed to obey. And what I started to see is that Jesus acted in ways that blew my mind, and he used very broken, dysfunctional people like me. You know, and I just kept flipping the page. And the next thing you know, it went from a page to a chapter. And then I'm like, what's going on? And then I would read more and read more. And all of a sudden, I have this aha moment where the Holy Spirit jumps off the page and he helps me see things. And I'm like, what is going on with this book? Like, this is some freaky book stuff. Like, I ain't, I ain't been much of a reader, but I don't think, like, books do this. <laughs> you know, and... I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to believe. I'm trying to to kind of follow Jesus. But if it's left up to me and my opinion and the way I feel, I'm screwed. And I have to align my emotions and my thoughts to that book because that book begins to clear things up real quick. You know, in verses like arrest all your thoughts and bring them back to the obedience of Christ has been one of my most important verses that I pass on to any one of you because that's one of the first things that we really need to begin to do is take our thoughts and does that align with the word? Well, I don't know the word. Well, it's important that we get in there. You know, you know, resist the enemy and submit to God and the enemy will flee where before we didn't even realize that we could resist him. We just thought it and we did it, you know. And then we realize that we got Jesus. He's like our big bad brother and he wants to kick butt. You know, and he's like telling us, we ain't got to, you know, fall for the devil's tricks anymore. Like, I didn't even know it was a trick. I just did stuff. You know, and then we start reading the word and all of a sudden this, the enemy starts attacking us in our mind more and more and more. Why, if this book was not important, would we have so much difficulty paying attention when we're reading this book? And then the more we pay attention, we realize like, shut up, you're, you're full of it. Get out of here. And we realize how tiny the enemy really is that he just whispers lies. And the more we get to know the truth, the more we get to know Scripture, this revival in our temple begins to take place because it's not because what the preacher man said or it's not because something I heard at church and it's not because you know somebody you know said something. It's not because of a bumper sticker. It's not this. It's not that. It's that I now have this personal relationship with Jesus and he's speaking to me. And it's so important because when the enemy tries to come in, be like, no, no, no. The Bible says and Jesus says this, so you can take a hike. You know, and we tell the enemy to get behind us. But if we're not following Jesus, so here I am, I'm I'm talking to the devil, and I realize that he's a liar, and I'm like, get behind me, and I turn around. But if I'm not following Jesus, the enemy stays right there next to me. He's still whispering. He might be behind me. I'm behind you. You know, I'm still whispering. I gotta follow Jesus and leave him in the dust. You know, following Jesus is different than just going to church. 
And it's so important that we're learning to follow Christ through Scripture because it purifies us from the inside out. You know, and he's prophesying this stuff. You know, and today we're we're so blessed. I mean, I don't even know how many Bibles I have in my house. I literally, I don't know. There's dozens. There's dozens. And there's literally Christians in this, this world that will die for a page of that book. And that they, they get a page or they get a Bible in a, in a, in a town and they'll rip it up. They'll give a page to you and a page to you or a chapter to you. And then when you're done reading it, you, you share it with me so that everybody gets the opportunity to read it. And I have more dust on some of my Bibles. I could build some of the huts they live in. <clears throat> and I'm not even joking. You know, we take for granted something that we have very, you know, easy access to. You know, but that Bible has changed the way that I think and the way that I live. And I really encourage each and every one of us to, to spend as much time as we can in there without being too religious in, in trying to thump other people with it. But anyway, you know, he has, Zechariah has another, you know, vision and he sees Joshua, who is the high priest of that day, and he's sim, symbolically wearing dirty clothes. You know, and he's wandering around the city, you know, and it's a, it's representing the sin of the people. You know, and he's telling them to take off those clothes and here's some new clothes. And this is God's grace and forgiveness upon the people. You know, pre-Jesus, we had to earn everything. You know, and even now, religion tells us that I gotta behave and don't do that and start doing this and I gotta have perfect attendance and better put my bucket in the alms and, you know, my dollar in the alms and, you know, there's all this performance stuff when it's really just this relationship with Jesus that He begins to change us in such ways that blows our mind that it's really this simple. You know, we complicate it. And other people telling us how we're supposed to do it complicates it as well. You know, and he sees this angel that comes and talks to Joshua and says that if you're faithful to God, that I will lead you and this people and that you will become a symbol of the future messianic king. You know, that do you realize that we are a symbol of the Messiah? to this broken world. Some of you are the only Jesus that any of those people will see because getting them into church probably ain't happening anytime soon. But how we live and the way we act and what we say and how we're compassionate and how we serve and how we help and how we don't complain and how we do this and don't do that, not because we're following rules, because of this internal change that Jesus has made in us, that they wonder how we walk through life the way we do. Like, wow, you're really kind of in a good mood most of the time. Like, yeah. Well, this and that, blah, 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 complain, complain, worry, worry, worry. And Like, no. Like, I've just learned that as I pray and trust God that he gets me through stuff. And people don't understand that at all. You know, and as we share little bits and pieces of our testimony with people, you know, they start to see, like, you're as normal as I think a Christian could be, but still you say some weird stuff. And then the next time that they go through a crisis, who are they turning to? They're like, hey, can I go to church with you? Hey, can we get together for coffee? Hey, you know, can you say a prayer for me or send me some good vibes? 
Like, good vibe? What is that? I don't even know what a good vibe is. Like, here you go. I will pray for you. I don't know how to vibe. I haven't gotten that, that, that lesson yet. You know, any vibing I'm doing, I'm sure that it's probably not good. But anyway, I know how to pray, and I can, and I will. You know, and, you know, I try not to make it a big deal, but anytime someone asks me in person, you could send me some good vibes, I'm like, this is not the moment. This is not the moment. All right. Okay. Yes. I will pray. You know, but it's important that we realize that, you know, Jesus is using us to lead people to Him through us and our actions and how we represent Him to the best of our abilities. Not that we will, any of us will ever be perfect. You know, and He's using Joshua in this text, in this time, to be a representation because Joshua is the lead priest at that day. You know, and his name means Yahweh saves, and, and that's in Hebrew. And the, the Greek, you know, is the Greek word is Jesus. You know, so Yahweh saving through Joshua is really the, the, the prophesy of the coming Messiah who would be Jesus. You know, and we are to represent him to the best of our ability in these times and places. You know, Zechariah begins to have another vision, and he sees these olive trees that are producing oil for this gold lamp. You know, and the gold lamp is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, but it's also God's watchful eye over everybody. Like the Holy Spirit comes and He's watching all of us. You know, the reason that Jesus ascended is so the Holy Spirit could come, that each one of us has the same power that raised Christ from the grave that dwells within each and every one of us. That we share that same power, but it's not limited, that we have it specifically for ourselves, the entirety of the power of the resurrection that dwells within us if we have the Holy Spirit. You know, so the same, you know, God's watchful eye is in and over and all through us. You know, so it's not that we get convicted after we sin. A lot of times we're getting convicted before we sin because it's like, I'm going to, eh, no, I'm not. Well, I want to, no, I probably shouldn't. You know, and the more we grow with Jesus, you know, we're finding ourselves staying in the boundaries and it has nothing to do with following the rules. It's like, no, I don't, I don't want to talk to that person. You know what? I don't want to go to that party. You know what? I don't want to do that. You know what? I shouldn't do this. You know, I shouldn't say that. And all of a sudden, these things are beginning to happen inside each and every one of us. You know, but it's also a symbol of the leaders. You know, Joshua and Zerubbabel were the anointed leaders for Jerusalem. You know, and the anointing is the olive, you know, oil that it's poured out upon them as they were set into office. But God says that success will not come to this new test, new temple that if the result is that we're trying to manipulate and maneuver our own will. I don't know how many times I've watched people try to use Jesus and use me and use this and use church to manipulate and maneuver their own will to be accomplished. You know, and, you know, I've learned that I don't need to be codependent anymore, and I have good boundaries today, and I don't need to rescue people. So I just say, okay, and I just sit back and watch. Well, God, you know, I believe this is God. Like, okay, let's watch and find out. Like, this one, you know what? She's really cute, but no, I know this is God. But okay, this will be interesting. 
you know, and I've learned that I don't have to fix it. I can just say, okay, and let's watch God work. And if we're manipulative and our heart's not true, God exposes that stuff every single time. And I don't have to be the one helping God. And that relieves so much pressure from each and every one of us that if someone's pulling God card, God will take care of it. You know, and when we're going through difficult situations and we're trying to help God, we're minimizing God's ability and God's power and we have to just sit back and say, you know what, I'm just going to trust God and pray. And when we trust God and pray, He is so much more powerful because we stop getting ourselves in there trying to help Him. I don't know about you, but the last time I tried to help God, it didn't end up real well for me. Just saying. You know, and when I just step back and pray and trust and grab a hold of Him to the best of my ability and I, you know, follow Him around and get dragged and sometimes I'm like, well, you know, let me help. And I'm like, no, 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 that's a bad idea. And when we stay in His will to the best of our ability, we watch how He does things that we could not possibly have done. And then we know it was God. And it's so important that we realize that the more that we pray, and we're not trying to manipulate, control, that we're really powerless, and we stop trying to to manage our situations, that we realize that God is big enough to take care of our little situations and our lives. You know, And it's so important that we are trusting in Him, because God wants to pour out His Spirit upon us, but we have to learn to be dependent upon Him. Many of us like him, but depending on him is a whole other story. I got trust issues, bro. Like, yeah, we all do. You know, we ha- we all have a lot of trust issues. You know, it kind of goes back into our childhood and be like, you know, come here and I won't hit you. I'm like, okay. First trust issue, getting smacked as a kid. You know, but in all honesty, we've been hurt by some of the people that are closest to us. You know, they wouldn't be able to hurt us so bad if they weren't close. But we're learning to trust God in spite of what our past looked like and in spite of what other people have done to us. You know, he, Zechariah closes out these visions that he's having with God with this final vision saying that Joshua, this high priest, is going to get crowned and he will present as the future Messiah, you know, and he will be a priest of God's kingdom. Zechariah also begins to say that this vision will be fulfilled only if this current generation is faithful to God. You know, it's so important that we realize that God is not obligated to do certain things for us. If we're going to be disobedient, if we're going to run from Him, if we're going to try to manipulate Him, if we're going to try to, you know, do it our own way, and then we pull out the God card, God's like, eh. You know, I've asked you to do this. I've asked you to not do that. And we all have those things right now in our lives where we're still trying to do it our way and not listening. You know, and it's important that we realize the more we're faithful to him and the more we're submitted to him and the more that we're stopping, you know, our own personal rebellion is the more we're watching how he's going to move in our lives. But if we don't, God's going to sit there and say, well, I'm waiting on you. You know, and he's asking the people to obey. Obey the covenant that you've made. 
You know, each and every one of us, when we accepted Jesus, we made a covenant. You know, and I didn't understand that in the beginning. Like, say this little sinner's prayer and you're going to heaven. Like, that's not even okay. But Jesus says, deny yourself and follow me. And when we think that we said a little prayer and we're going to go to heaven and he asks us to do difficult things, we're like, no, I don't have to. I'm already in. But that's not scriptural. And when we get into our word, we realize that it's so important that we follow him and that what he says actually matches things that we've read. It becomes so much easier to do those things and follow him. You know, it's interesting, though, that this coming blessing is contradicted by God's people being faithful. You know, and I will also say that God's blessing comes with responsibility. You know, I never have seen that that way until recently. You know, as I've prayed for things and I watch other people pray for things and they get the answer to that prayer and then there's work involved. Like, thanks, Jesus. Oh, wait, I hate this, Jesus. Some of the blessings that we desire come with a lot of discipline. You know, and come with work to maintain those things. You know, so often we're like, we think we're winning the lottery and we can just blow money however we want. You know, but that's not how it works. That the more faithful that we are, we position ourselves for blessing. The more disciplined we are, the more we're able to, you know, grab a hold of that blessing and keep it. You know, I do believe that God can bless out anywhere. You know, not every one of his blessings comes with this type of, you know, I, you know, idea or, you know, that I have to be disciplined to maintain it. But I've watched so many times that people pray for blessings and get blessing, but because the discipline isn't there, the blessing just goes through their fingers. You know, so it's important that we realize that sometimes with the things that we're praying for are going to come with a lot of work attached to it. You know, and I see that in this, in this, this text is that he is telling them that this blessing is coming if you're faithful. You know, and there's areas in our lives that we really need to be faithful and we need to resist and we need to let go of and we need to change. And you know what? We're not surprising Jesus. We need to just get a hold of them and say, you know what? I'm ready. I'm done doing it my way. It's not, it's not been working. I know I already told you that once or three times. I already said that this was, it was over and I was going to do it your way now. But now I'm really serious. I'm ready to do it your way. And it's important that we do it. You know, because honestly, I think sometimes God's just waiting on us. We're praying and praying and praying and praying, and it's like God's like, do this or don't do that. And we're praying and we're praying and we're praying and we're praying, and God says, do this or don't do that. And we're praying and we're praying and we're praying and we're wondering where our breakthrough's coming. And He says, do this and don't do that. And we're praying and we're praying and we're praying and we're wondering where God is, and He says, do this and don't do that. And it's not until we do this and don't do that that those prayers get answered because God's just waiting on us to do what he said because we're asking him to do something. He's asking us to do something. And sometimes it's if, then, but. If you do, then I will. But if you don't, I won't. And it's so important that we have this mindset that sometimes when we're praying, God's like, yeah, let's do this. But let's do this. And so often we want God to do all the work and we just sit back and enjoy the show. 
But the conclusion of these dreams is this challenge from Zechariah. He reminds the people how God had God's people had rejected him and which led them into exile. And he challenges them that you will see this messianic kingdom come only if you pursue justice and remain faithful to the land and produce peace. You know, so often that we don't want to do our part. You know, and we think that it's unfair. Or we have another excuse and we'll do it later. And, you know, and we go around and around. And I think sometimes God's just like, I got all the time in the world. And we really don't. And he does. He's outside of time. Time does not affect him at all. Time affects us a lot. And the more obedient that we are, you know, that we, we see how things start to fall in place a little bit quicker for us. You know, Zechariah turns this around on them asking, you know, if they will become the people, the kind of people that are ready to receive what God has prepared, prepared for them. And I'm challenged by that. And I ask you, are you ready to become the kind of people that are ready to receive what God has prepared for you? You know, this is a challenge. It's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to us. That are we ready to take, step up our game a little bit and say, you know what? I'm tired of making this excuse. You know what? I've heard him tell me that I need to do this enough that I'm actually going to do it. You know, will we become the people that are ready to receive what God has for us? You know, it was a preacher. It's not biblical, but I remember hearing it that, you know, God has this, this book of ours, you know, and each chapter is a chapter of our life. And then when we get to heaven, he hands us the book and we get to read our life, you know, in and out of him. You know, and then we get to that and then we get to the end of our book and there's all these blank chapters. Well, like God, why are there all these blank pages? Well, if you were obedient, those are all the pages of your blessing. Now, this isn't biblical. This is just a preacher trying to manipulate us, and I'm trying to manipulate you. Just so you know. I'm just being clear. You know, this isn't how it all works, but yet it, it plants a seed that if I would be faithful and obedient to him, what could he potentially do? God can do anything. The fact that we're saved is a miracle. I know some of you. The fact that you're saved is a bigger miracle than the fact that I'm saved. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Are we ready for what God has prepared for us? And I challenge you guys. And I challenge myself. Let's, let's press in. Let's chase Jesus. Let's follow him to the best of our abilities. And watch how he does miracles in our families. Watch how he uses us broken people to change situations, to become, you know, people in specific places throughout this city that have influence. You know, I still am overwhelmed sometimes when certain people begin to talk to me and I'm like, they don't really realize that I used to be a crackhead going in and out of jail. They look at me as a pastor and that blows my mind. Like, this is Pastor Tom. Like, you're right, I am. 
Like, I'm still just me. Can I just be honest? I'm still just me. But now I have this reputation that says, you know, this is Tom. He's a man of God. You know, and there's judges in this city. It's like, hi, Tom. And I'm like, he knows my name. And it's not because he locked me up. Go, Tom. Like, we have influence. When we follow Jesus, he strategically puts us in positions and, and, and situations where we begin to influence people. You know, I remember just a few months ago when the bargain grocer was doing their grand opening. Now, I'm just one another person in the midst of that room. But there's senators and governors and mayors in this room that I got invited to. Now, I'm there in my sweatpants just because that's how I roll. But I'm in the room with people with influence. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. You know, God's doing something. The fact that 10 years ago I wouldn't have been invited to that room. But yet today, because I'm a pastor... You know, I got invited to a room full of people that are cool and are accomplished and represent stuff that I don't know what they do. <laughs> but yet, it's kind of interesting that he took someone like me that was in the, the gutter and started to put me in position of influence. And some of you are in position of influence in different places. You know, and God is strategically putting us in specific places so that we can represent him to the best of our ability and shine a light into darkness. You know, and he's prophesying, Zechariah is prophesying that, that this humble Messiah, he will ride a donkey into Jerusalem and he will become the king of all nations. But next he describes him as a shepherd whose flock reject him and because he's rejected by his own people, that God will hand them over to those people, and those people will choose corrupt shepherds. Now this is this is hundreds of years, hundreds of years before Jesus came along, and he's describing Jesus to a T. Now, did Jesus be like, "Oh, look at this scripture"? You know, I better ride into town on a donkey so I fulfill this one. No, it's just how it rolled. You know, did he know exactly what was going to happen? Well, he's Jesus, so he's cheating. But, you know, the fact of the matter, like, he didn't go out and be like, I'm going to fulfill this prophecy, but not this one. He just was who he was. And these men of God were beginning to see in the Spirit what the Messiah was going to do. And he humbled himself and was willing to be rejected by people. And he laid his life down that no one could take it from him. You know... And he proposes this question, is, will Israel be in ruins forever? And he says, no. God's justice will come, that he will defeat injustice. And God's going to pour out his presence among his people so that they can repent and grieve over their sins and they will have a liver, a liver, a river of living water and a liver that didn't die and a, a river of living water that pours out into God's people when they're faithful and this will bring healing to all the people but not only when they only when they stop rebelling and become obedient he's seeing the holy spirit he's seeing the presence of god getting poured out on the people he's seeing this regenerated life that begins to pour out into other people's lives he's seeing that healing is going to begin to take place 
And He's going to use God's people to do it. Only when we're faithful and obedient. Now this doesn't just mean I've accepted Jesus. It means that I've accepted Jesus and I'm ready to take on what He's asking me to do. And that means be faithful to Him. You know, when we read it in Scripture, it's like, now go and don't sin no more. You know, I haven't judged you, now go and sin no more. You know, and we have to realize that we don't want cheap grace, that I can just keep doing whatever I want to do. Oh, God will forgive me. Oh, God will forgive me. Oh, God will forgive me. I want to be obedient because I want to see Him open doors that no man can open. I want to see Him do stuff that says, wow, that was God to people who don't even believe in God. Like, I don't know, but your God does cool stuff. Because we see that in Scripture too. That that kings of the nations that worshipped idols would watch how God's men and women did cool stuff and that they were like, I don't, but your God is the one true God. Now they're worshiping other stuff, but they're proclaiming that the God that we believe in is so far beyond what other people believe in. You know, I'm watching how God's moving in specific territories, uprooting witchcraft, uprooting different types of idol worship, uprooting new age, uprooting this, uprooting that. In the spiritual realms, I'm watching how Different people, men and women, are getting saved out of other religions and saying this Jesus stuff is way more powerful. And it's amazing to see how God represents himself way better than we can. That we just need to be faithful and obedient. That we must look above our chaos and see God in the midst of our situation. Because if we keep focusing on what we're going through, We don't see God. We see chaos. We see situations. We see trials. We see tribulations. We see circumstances that we can't overcome. But when we pick our head up and say, God, I need you to move. I need you to move in my family. I need you to move in family court. I need you to move in my mom. I need you to move in my brothers and sisters. I need you to move in my kids. I need you to move in my finances. That we get our eyes on God and not our situations. All of a sudden, God is like, yes, we can do this. But as long as I'm focusing on my situation, I'm trying to figure out how to fix it, I never have the right moves. I just create more problems. And then other people get mad at me because I'm trying to get them to do what I think is best. It doesn't really work out, does it? But when I sit back and say, God, i got to trust you. You know, and this is where the I trust you Jesus prayer came from. It's because I know that's the right answer, but everything inside of me doesn't believe that. And everything inside of me is freaking out on the inside. And I'm like, I'm going to trust you. i got to trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. And there's usually tears just flowing out of my face like living water because I'm proclaiming that I trust him. And everything inside of me is like, run away. Just run. Just run as fast as you can. And when you stop running, you'll be where you're supposed to be. I did that a lot in my 20s. I'm so tired of rebuilding my life. I'm tired. You know, and I believe that that tiredness inside of us is what leads us on to new life. Because if I had the energy to sin the way that I used to, I might take a chance at it. But I cannot imagine running these streets today. <laughs> no desire. 
Like, zero. Do you want to go to the bar? Like, absolutely not. I'm too tired for that nonsense. Like, going to chase girls and Tinder and go to the bar and try to pick. No. Like, I have no desire for any of that chaos. Like, I am just happy hanging out with Jesus and a bunch of dudes. Like, it's so peaceful. And I pray for a wife. And God's like, you ready yet? I'm like, uh-huh, maybe. But anyway, the point that I'm making is that we need to get our eyes off of our circumstances and on Jesus. And when we get our eyes on Jesus, no matter what our circumstances are, and we pray and we're obedient and we're faithful to Him, He's going to guide us through that. And it's not going to look how we think it's going to look. It's probably going to be the exact opposite that we ever would have wanted to do. And he does cool stuff anyway. But the more we're obedient and the more we're faithful and the more we keep our eyes on him, he's going to guide us through whatever chaos and whatever situations we're going through. Because he is faithful to those that are faithful to him. You just bow your heads with us. Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, I just ask that you would move in powerful ways in our lives, Lord. I know currently that there's so many situations just stuff going on in court, stuff going on with our kids, stuff going on with our parents, stuff going on in our finances. There's just so much anxiety and our, our minds are just racing, trying to figure it all out. Lord, help us to just have peace tonight. Help us just put that stuff in your hands and say, God, I just need you. Help me to trust you. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. Until we feel that atmosphere change inside of us. That we we feel that peace that goes beyond all understanding begin to come over us. And our circumstances haven't changed a bit, but we did. So, Lord, I just pray for your peace to fall on us, Lord. I just ask that your hand would be upon us, Lord, that you would guide us. Help us to stop running. Help us to stop doing it our way. Help us to be obedient to what we already are hearing and know to do. Help us to resist doing it the same old way that we've always done, getting the same old answers. Lord, help us to turn into the men and women that you've called us to be, that you hear our prayers, and that you speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.